Welcome to Hope is Not a Strategy, the podcast for real strategy makers. My name is Christian Underwood, and today we have a very special guest. We have Steffen Bersch from SSE Schaefer in our live podcast recorded at the WHU Strategy Summit on May 17th in Düsseldorf. It's the second time that Steffen is in our podcast. The first one we did in German. Um, you can find that in our German version of the podcast, which is called Hoffnung ist keine Strategie from January 2022. But today we have a new one and uh, I hope you will enjoy it. So welcome back, everybody, with our last guest of today. And uh, yeah, let me first welcome you, Steffen, here at our Strategy Summit 23 at WHU in Düsseldorf. And uh, we do now a fireside chat. What does that mean? It's an interview in the end, but sounds a little bit cooler. And at WHU, we like things to sound a little bit cool. So, um, and we also, that's why you see this little crazy microphone here over there with Stefan and on my side. We do a live podcast and this is uh, our second podcast that we do. We've done it once and you're still number one on our download list. So uh, hopefully we, we can create a second number one hit <laughs> here. So um, Stefan, I briefly introduce you to the crowd here. Uh, you worked for Uh, the machine manufacturer Gear Group uh, for about, let's say, 20 years in various leadership positions and the last four years as member of the group's executive board. And for a good now three and a half years, I think, you're the CEO of the SSE Schaefer Group and yeah, responsible for the fate of the entire group worldwide. And uh, just for those who don't know SSE Schaefer, but uh, for me, typically when I talk to clients and others and uh, raise the name SSE, everyone knows SSE because of the yellow boxes, I think, Ken. That's, that's the main thing. So SSE Schaefer Group is the world's leading supplier of products and systems for internal material flow, so-called intralogistics. And the group is headquartered in Neukirchen that employs around 10,000 people in around 70 operating companies and at seven production sites worldwide. Founded in 1937, The family-owned company is now a true global player and one of Germany's hidden champions. Steffen, welcome today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Yeah, now I would like to uh, conclude our day with you looking holistically at your strategy journey as SSC Schaefer. So I think uh, on all topics that we've touched today, uh, we will find something that your company is related to or you're dealing with. Uh, we, had, we started the day with artificial intelligence. I'm sure you're doing something crazy stuff uh, in your company. And uh, we're talking about innovation ecosystems. I think there are a lot of interesting things also going on um, at your company. Uh, the use of digital strategy tools and uh, strategy work and also the topic of sustainability. And as I noticed in yeah, ahead of our uh, talk today and setting it up, Information security, because in all of that dig digital stuff, that's a total important thing, especially when you're hit. And maybe we took that as the last part of our conversation with some real, real experience from your side. Uh, what does that mean for a company? So uh, let's get started uh, with the status quo and um, the environment and trends intralogistic is facing. So it's a very dynamic environment, uh, I think. 
And uh, yeah, since you've started, um, Corona hit the company, I think, already when you when you kicked in there. Uh, we have the Ukraine war, we have high material and energy costs hit your customers. So what do you see as the biggest challenges in intralogistics and for your company? Yeah, so first of all, thank you very much for having the opportunity to talk about SSI Schaefer and particularly the interlogistics market, which is, of course, our main market in which we are we are working. The interlogistics market is the material flow that is uh, basically handled in all kinds of verticals, maybe in the food uh, retail chain, maybe normal retail, groceries, pharmacies, um, um, online pharmacies, for example, the food and beverage industry. And uh, we do basically that stuff that is the automatic part of it. That means wherever you try to reduce personal costs and, and try to optimize the entire process. So that's a typical thing we are doing uh, from uh, taking over an empty building or even building it ourselves uh, and then fitting it with the hardware, uh, the automation uh, hardware, as well as the software to operate uh, the whole site. Um, so what is the basic trend? I think what we all have experienced, particularly in the time of Corona, is that more and more uh, of the business is going away from the traditional stationary uh, retail chain into the uh, online channels. I think we all experience our own habits in, in Amazon, Zalando and the likes. Um, and of course, that is our core business. That means those are our core customers and all the variants of those customers, if I may, may call it like that. Uh, that entire market is growing, uh, particularly by the shift from stationary dealing to online dealing and is growing overall by around 10 to 13 percent on an annual basis, depending on, on which view you take and depending on how you slice the market accordingly. So that is uh, basically driving us at this uh, point in time. And uh, the main driver within that market is the automation and this is software that means uh, reduce personal expenses for our clients or even uh, optimize it because they don't find personnel anymore uh, in order to operate their their sites and to transform also their business. So that's basically driving it. And uh, we're dealing with all the challenges around that. Yeah. Thank you very much for, for giving that uh, overview. And um, when, when, when it comes now to Corona and uh, also the war, how did this crisis affect your strategy that you set up before and how you, how you deal with your, with your team? Yeah, uh, you indicated already the cyber attack that we had basically on April 14th. Um, so j just some 30 days ago or some, some, some one month ago. Uh, I have to say that since I left GEA actually and, and joined SSI Schäfer, I never had a quarter without a crisis. Uh, that was an interesting experience. <laughs> so starting basically with, with Corona, I think that was in my second week. Uh, when uh, we uh, were facing the situation that we didn't know, like like uh, factories that were shut down in Malaysia and Asia, for example, and uh, didn't get the people basically back to work and, and, and all the stuff, you all have experienced that. Then we had the supply chain crisis that started, I think, with the Ever Given event in the Suez Channel and then with the bullwhip effect and, and other effects on how to get uh, chips, uh, how to get drive systems, how to get electric motors and all kind of automation equipment, um, those wafers, and then the last thing was basically now the cyber attack. In so far, let's say implementing or developing a strategy 
try to run on a normal train track, basically implementing it, but being continuously stopped with, uh, let's say, ad hoc events was a special challenge in those times. Nevertheless, we are still following the strategy that we have defined and the procedures that we have defined uh, basically at the end of 2020, beginning of 21, um, and try to execute that. Okay, let me talk about a little bit about your technology leadership. So I remember supporting you um, and your team a little bit on that journey. Uh, in your strategy, you have defined technology <laughs> leadership and intralogistics uh, as your core and identified several levers to achieve this. Uh, to name just two, sustainability was one of them. And another one was the innovation, uh, yeah, innovative capability, including automation. So let's talk about innovation, uh, how you deal with that. So let's start with that topic. Uh, you're currently building your innovation ecosystem. And uh, what do you see as a key building block and success filter in that field? Yeah, probably be before coming to that innovation part, I just want to put it a bit into perspective on, on what we what we tried to achieve there. So we were coming first from, from a perspective on how to orchestrate strategy in the organization. And uh, we didn't want to have something like where the executive board is sitting together, defining something and putting it later into the shelf and nobody knows on what's going on. Um, we basically tried to first build up a team, which in our case consists of the regional heads and regional teams. That means we have six regions in which we are operating, four business units, uh, certain group functions, as well as our plants and the entire supply chain. And we added um, that to that uh, basically um, in a, a group of um, uh, younger people, basically that try to that should build basically the, the the bridges between the organization and us there in in that in that group. So that was the the initial point, and there was a lot of analysis. Um, first taking place on what are the, the general trends that we do see in the market, which are the areas we want to focus, which are the areas we don't want to focus on. There was a lot of discussion on our, we called it the own realities. You remember that part of the discussion? Being a family-owned business, we have a lot of, uh, let's say, legacy topics that we, that we need to deal with, investments that haven't been made, uh, certain focus areas that haven't been really focused on, integration that didn't took place in the organization and all that stuff. And at the end of that process, we were coming first with that normal statements of vision, the mission, and, and our group strategy statement, the own realities were defined. And then we were coming to six uh, priorities, basically. At that time, when you defined the, with us together the strategy frame, it were five. Uh, we adopted that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, first of all, we said we, we put our people into the center. We put our customers into the center, the two priorities. Uh, we said we want to grow in terms of volume according to the market or a bit faster. We want to have a profitable growth. I think that was also part of the last discussion, uh, profitable growth. And then we said we need to put innovation and technology leadership into, into a priority. And last but not least, um, the sustainability aspect. And then try to define based on those key priorities for each region for each business unit, for each plant, for the entire supply chain and for the group functions, like what does that mean for them? And then try to develop tactical measures uh, behind that. And one element was the innovation part. Mm -hmm. So that means every unit, group functions, regions, uh, um, uh, uh, business units, 
need to define what does innovation mean for them. So, but you, you like, it doesn't help if you just give that as a central statement. It needs to be tangible so that people in the organization kind of understand what you mean there. And there, uh, we established then, let's say, a group technology uh, group and said, those guys basically coordinate all the activities that are happening in the different units in regions and in the in the business units. It was basically supported by the idea that we want to go more into partnership approach. Um, the, the history of the whole thing was in the past that the organization said, we want to do everything ourselves and we don't want to share and we don't want to basically discuss with others, a kind of typical German approach. And we said, let's try to come from a kind of an ecosystem thing. But developing an organization from that end to the other end is also a cultural topic, which needs some time and still needs some time. So for us, it meant we started uh, technology partnerships with certain research institutes. Uh, we cooperated more with other players in the market, other, let's say, technology players in the market, and tried to develop ideas around that. Is that something where I can say you start there and like in three years later, you have the ultimate success? Probably no. It's more of an like try to generate momentum in the organization and try to do something with, let's say, try to motivate them always to think a step ahead in terms of technology. Okay. And uh, I've also read that you um, have established a data science team focusing on artificial intelligence. Now, first of all, we had no data science team. So, and we were of the opinion that when you are a provider of warehouse management software, where you have all kind of data of the customer process available, that means what is ordered in a logistics center, what is packed together, in which combinations, how many people do you need for that, which technology is involved, and and how much you basically send out, then you then you have a lot of stuff available, um, a lot of data available. And we said uh, probably we should make benefit out of that uh, and establish now that team, uh, which is producing like like a half year ago in order to, let's say, first of all, generate ideas. What can we do with it? And can we probably generate other business models or leverage a little bit on the the input that we have from that that team. Okay, that's that's one part. And you mentioned automation. That's really key for your business. So uh, you required, uh, I think now, 100% of years automation, a leading provider of mobile robotics. So that's that's the thing uh, that your customers did not find anymore any workforce and that now you're going the road also in robotics. No, I mean, it has always been a topic. Uh, that means we always purchase robotic components either from KUKA or other players in the market and integrated them into our uh, solutions. Of course, you wouldn't buy KUKA. Probably it's, um, uh, that doesn't make so much sense for us. However, there are other, let's say, interesting robotic solutions that are of relevance for us. One important element, I think, for the whole logistic or interlogistic industry is the AGV market or AMR market. That means all kinds of mobile robots. That means how do you replace a traditional uh, conveying technology by mobile robots, for example. Um, it's a big trend in China. Uh, Chinese players are at the forefront uh, with applications around that. Uh, probably a market where we cannot catch up. However, for certain industrial applications, certain niche applications, I believe there's still opportunity and we want to leverage on that opportunity. We had a 40% share 
on an Austrian-based company called DS Automotion. We increased that to 100% now, took the company entirely over um, and uh, developed together with those guys uh, an innovation and investment plan on, on what, we can, what can we basically develop in terms of new technologies, new applications around that technology base of DS Automotion. It also, if I may call so, because uh, it's not on your piece of paper. Yeah. So when you talk automation, or let's say, when you talk logistic centers, the, we all see those logistic centers around the highway, along the highway, um, which are to a very large extent manual operations, um, to a very large extent. Mm -hmm. And uh, we want to... We are totally in this automation part. That means with these software and automation solutions. Important elements in that are uh, picking solutions, case and piece picking solutions. That means how can you replace a normal uh, place where like uh, containers are there? Somebody's putting it, let's say, taking something out into another box for shipment. Uh, and that is a process that needs to be optimized, but it's very difficult to optimize because uh, if you do that on the pharmaceutical side, it's easy. You have small boxes, basically to a certain weight of like maximum one kilogram. So that is easy. When you talk uh, on an Amazon logistics center with all kinds of stuff, then it's becoming, let's say, very complex. And we are working with technical solutions also on that one. We have acquired another company called Robert, uh, which is doing... Um, um, case picking solutions so we have optimized for example for ikea um, and i can talk about that because we have published that already we have uh, optimized the uh, commissioning of kitchen online order kitchens as well as those packs schränke we all know that you all know that so if you if you order that online then it's automatically commissioned. So it's not a manual process anymore and that's a that's a case picking solution or flat pack picking solution uh, and we try to do those kind of things in our innovation stream. Okay, so we're now talking about so much about technology and data of clients. And uh, you mentioned the security thing that happens. Uh, can you can you give us some some insight? What happened, and how did that affect you? Yeah, it's probably something you don't want to have, uh, but you can't prevent that. That's also what we what we basically learned now. Um, we thought that we are safe. That means we have done continuous penetration tests in the whole organization. We had all kinds of providers in the background checking ourselves, try to penetrate the system, try to send phishing emails uh, into the organization in order to check who is opening it, who is not opening it, uh, so to have some, some ideas on what's going to happen. And uh, basically, in the mid of April, uh, we have gotten information from our security operations center that there is something happening in, in our network. Um, and then we had to do a judgment call to either proceed operating to keep the whole thing switched on or to basically take the company entirely from the internet. That means 70 operating companies, including production, supply chain, and so on, entirely from the internet. And we decided at the end to do so before we get, before we get encrypted. Um, we believe still that that decision was right. We have never been encrypted. We have never got any kind of blackmailing so nobody came to us we we scanned the entire darknet for if we find something uh, we didn't find anything we had certain indications on certain data that might have left the organization nevertheless company is shut down 
uh, or has been shut down at that point in time. And it has now accelerated our ideas on changing the IT infrastructure. So the plans were already, and it has really accelerated the speed now on, on, on doing it new. However, I don't wish it to anyone that this is going to happen because it's pain for the whole organization because the entire legacy of like 30, 40 years of IT that have been built up become visible. And you don't want to have that. Absolutely. And uh, I noticed it because I wrote two emails to you and you and they didn't arrive, right? But it was a, it was a, was a cool time, I have to say. Like uh, 30 days <laughs> without email, I, I found it pretty cool, I have to say. From that perspective, um, of course, we operated the entire company on Teams and WhatsApp. Uh, well, at least the communication, not the whole company, at least the communication. So we were continuously in contact. We had the crisis team. We had a very cool support from the authorities, may it be the BSI or the uh, public prosecution supporting us, uh, the police. And so far, it, it was an interesting experience. Nevertheless, you don't want to have it. Have it. Yeah, absolutely. And when we talk about technology and now uh, using digital tools and system to do your strategy. So, and yeah, you think, okay, now we're going off the internet, how you operate also not on an operational level and still survive uh, every day, um, but how you still develop your company because it took you now one month. Of course, the priority is a bit different now. Uh, that means... Uh, First, you need to get the blood pressure back into the organization. That okay. means the company needs to operate. That means uh, strategy execution or strategy development has not the highest focus at this point in time. Mm -hmm. um, however, we proceed um, with our strategy work. Uh, also, before the attack happened, uh, we have basically renewed already elements of that strategy or adopted certain things. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and of course, what is still valid is we... We have, um, at the time when we developed it in 21, uh, given the tactical measures according to the priorities and the different units to the organization and they proceed working on it. Of course, at this point in time, a bit slower because they all basically want to read their mails first. Okay. But, but your organization, you, you would say you're still on track with your, with your strategy to work? Uh, no. Um, there, was, there were certain elements... I mean, major parts, I would say 70% are on track. 30% I was, would say are not on track. And those were uh, certain regional developments that we had in mind, particularly in China. Uh, at the time when we developed it in 2020-2021, uh, we were about like having the idea of acquiring software companies in China uh, and then figured out that the reality of such an acquisition is a bit, like we thought a bit too progress progressive on that. So we, at the end, had to experience that we had to stop those things. Of course, the major parts of the development in uh, in Europe, uh, as well as in North or Latin America, are executed. Okay, great. And yeah, coming to another level or priority, as called uh, sustainability. We had it on the on the panel here today, and uh, we also have a nice podcast episode with your uh, with your global head of social responsibility, Heiko Schulze, number twenty six, who wants to listen. Is the topic of sustainability also a performance driver for you today or in the future? I, I, I got that busy what you had in the last discussion, and I believe yes. Um, however, I think we also need to be a little bit aware of the topic that um, the regulatory element of it, particularly in Western Europe, 
and I would support what has been said in the last session, is probably a limiting a little bit the competitiveness of European companies in comparison to company to countries where sustainability is not as high on the agenda, at least from a regulatory perspective. For us, it has two elements. It's the internal part in the organization, uh, which I could summarize under, uh, from an environmental perspective, how to reduce the CO2 footprint of all the operation. I think that is also what, let's say, a lot of us uh, are, are doing. So that's not a Schaefer-specific topic. We all have to work on that. Um, and the other topic is uh, we have to support our customers on making their operations more sustainable, uh, which means at the end, when we're building a logistics center, we have to think the whole thing from a customer perspective, perspective so, so how can we build an operation that is CO2 neutral or at least CO2 neutral? What can we do in terms of recuperation of energy? How can we, for example, which is a major topic currently, um, replace uh, compressed air? by electronic drive systems in order to reduce energy consumption, those kind of things. This is the element of it which in the strategy has been defined and is rolled out as a tactical measure into the business units where the development is taking place and they are developing their ideas now on, on doing something. Is that always to our full satisfaction? Probably not. Is it always, uh, let's say, um, tangible in our pockets in terms of money that we're earning? Probably also not, but it has to be done. And looking to your clients, are they looking for sustainable solutions? I, I think that is normal because same as we are under pressure when we build our sites, all our customers that build their sites are also under the same pressure. And there a competitive advantage might be if we come with technological or process solutions that uh, not only from a price per pick perspective or total operating cost perspective is attractive, but also from a sustainability perspective in terms of CO2 footprint or energy consumed and so on is attractive. So we try to embed that in our offers. Okay. To an extent we can handle it. Okay. That's right. Um, just coming back to the big picture of strategy at your company. So, um, if you have three wishes down the road. What would you wish um, for your company to uh, to happen the outside or maybe inside? Or what would you wish in making uh, better decisions? So first of all, after Corona, the supply chain topic and now the cyber crisis, <laughs> we discussed recently on what can happen next. And we thought probably an alien attack would be the <laughs> thing that could happen. So if I have a wish, that should not happen. But all our wishes so far have not been heard. So. <laughs> and let's see then how we will deal with 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 that one. Um, no, I mean the engineering business um, is dealing with let's say is the, is 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 operating in a very volatile world. I have to say. Um, so the big investments um, that are done out there are rare, uh, and a lot of companies are fighting for those rare investments. That is fine. That's a normal comp competition. But the the effects that we see in the market since basically one or two years, where interest rates are going up, where investment decisions are uh, delayed or postponed, where political frame conditions are probably difficult in, in certain markets, um, are things that are really limiting us as an organization. 
because the planning for us is very difficult. So we need to, let's say, if I would have a wish, I would always say, how do I get, how do I get the volatility out of that market and balance it more out into, into a stable market? So my biggest wish would always be, and I said that already in the times at GEA, uh, if customers would budget with us over a period of 10 years in advance, then it would really help, right? It's probably not going to happen. Not really. Uh, yeah, but thank you for that. And, um, you know, finally, our listeners uh, always want to have some co concrete advice. And we have now this hot topic on artificial intelligence. So that's how we started the day. And uh, what would you give as a current advice um, to companies or leaders of, of, of corporates that if they want to open up this topic for their business? I have no clue. I have to say, um, yeah, I, I can't answer that uh, because I believe that a lot of the stuff that is today labeled as artificial intelligence is not artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. It's a normal control loop th stuff that has been done since 30 years um, or longer. Uh, when I see those things like ChatGPT, I also believe that that is not really artificial intelligence. It's just like, I mean, there are elements in it that are very interesting. Sure. But let's say at the end, like deep learning things where a machine is learning by itself, they're the fun part would start. Um, and I think the only advice that I could give, and that's also the, the stuff we discussed internally is, let's give groups in the organization the chance to work on this. Uh, that means try to cooperate with research institutes, try to cooperate with other companies, try to define platforms not everything has to be invented by one company companies need to join forces you know i'm also uh, supporting the vdma german machine building association to a large extent where we also try to um certain platforms that the the entire industry is joining forces and uh, those platforms i think that's the only advice i can give should be used uh, and should be supported more by organizations in order to at the end, leverage on new technologies that are out there. Stefan, thank you very much for your insights today. 